0: Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. I am your host, Katherine Seegers, and in today's episode, we will tackle this critically important question, how do you deal with the difficult parts of scripture? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. We are going to do that today by dealing with a difficult part of Scripture. In fact, we are in a series right now on dealing with the difficult parts of Scripture. So the question posed at the top of this episode is is pretty on the nose. If you missed the last episode, which was, why does the Bible say dot, 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 fill in the blank, be sure to go back and check that one out. It is a part of this series, and you don't want to miss that one. In it, I gave you seven guidelines for approaching these these tough sections in the Bible with your kids. And I'm going to review those for you very briefly in this episode because I'm going to apply these guidelines to a very difficult section of the Bible. But you definitely want to hear the longer version. Lots of good stuff in there. In this episode, I want to look at a very specific question that I brought up in the last episode. This question led a young man who was raised in the church and was involved in his college Christian ministry to leave the faith because he couldn't find a reasonable, rational, answer. So we are going to look very closely at the specific question that got this young man off track and apply those guidelines. That's the plan for this episode of CPCW. So let's get started. Now, before I give you a brief review of the seven guidelines that I gave you in the last episode, I want to thank you so much for your patience and the extra long delay between episodes 31 and 32. I mentioned to you in the last episode that I cracked the screen on my computer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, that is still... Not fixed. Yeah, I had it in the shop for two weeks. and Well, you know, they got a part shortage and my computer came back with more problems than it actually left with. It came back with the cracked screen still as we're waiting on the part to come in and a dead battery actually, actually, they forgot to reconnect the battery. You know, that's kind of important for a computer. And here's the deal. I'm a Mac girl, by the way, and I have been on my kid's PC for the past two weeks. That's like me in a hardware store. I am like constantly bumping into things and I don't know where anything is. And I, I don't have any recording software on that computer. So this, this has been quite an ordeal. And I'm going with some very unconventional workarounds right now with an external monitor. So say a prayer that it keeps working. I really want to keep cranking out episodes regularly. As a matter of fact, my goal, my goal is to make the episodes a little bit shorter and start cranking them out every week. So you don't have to wait so long. That's the plan very soon. So pray that my computer cooperates. Now, Let me briefly go over the seven guidelines that I gave you in the last episode for dealing with these difficult parts of scripture so we can apply them to a difficult portion of scripture. Repetition is so good, and we are going to apply these guidelines today. When dealing with these tough parts of the Bible, number one, take away the ambush. In other words, introduce some of these sections to your kids yourself. Provide some answers before they even ask the questions. Don't let them get out on their own and be blindsided by all of these really difficult parts of the Bible. That doesn't end well. Mm -mm. Take away the surprise attack. Number two, when your child asks you about one of these difficult sections of scripture, don't ignore the question. You know, don't, don't say, well, you know, I guess we'll just find out when we get to heaven. Yeah, don't do that. And also, number three, don't dismiss or downplay the question. Well, you know, God in his omnipotent wisdom determined that this is the best course of action. You know, <laughs> that is the <laughs> equivalent of a big parental because I said so, only it's a big because God said so. And that doesn't work. For a teenager who is becoming an adult and who is designed by God to ask questions, especially in that phase of life. You know, you know, sometimes we give our kids a because I said so answer when they are young because they, they, they can't understand it. They're, the issue is too complex for their little minds, or, or frankly, because we're busy and I don't know, we're being a little lazy. But those kinds of answers will not work for our kids as they become teenagers and young adults. Your son or your daughter cannot look at their atheist professor or their secular humanist friend and answer one of these questions with a big, because God said so, answer. You know, that's going to invite ridicule and scorn. And rightfully so. We need to have answers that are logically sound and rational. So how do you find those answers? Number four, pray about it. James chapter 1 verse 5 says that if you lack wisdom, if you need an answer, ask God and he will supply it. So ask God to help you find an answer. Then, number five, get to work. Yeah, don't just sit around waiting for the answer to arrive in your mailbox. Do some research. Ask someone who is spiritually wise. Read some articles or books. Don't sit around expecting the answer just to come to you. Work for it. And if the answer doesn't come right away, keep looking. But while you do, number six, stand on what you know. Remind yourself and your child of all that you do know. Remind yourself of all the answers you have found, all the things about our faith that do make sense, all the times that God has been faithful. Remember, always remember that we've got more history with God than our kids do. But still, we need to stand on what we know while we are looking for answers. And finally, number seven, wrestle out loud for those answers. And by that, I mean, let your kids see you wrestle with God and with his word. Let them see you wrestle for these answers. We need to be wrestling with God in our faith. Our kids need to see that because the Christian faith is a faith that wrestles Alrighty, now that we've got our review in, let's address one of these sections of the Bible. Let's look at that question I brought up in the last episode, the question that caused this young man in college to leave the faith. To refresh your memory, this was an example from Dan Kimball who wrote a chapter in A New Kind of Apologist. The chapter title is, is so awesome. It's Don't Blame Us. <laughs> it's in the Bible. You know, I focused on this chapter a lot in the last episode, and I'm going to continue to do that throughout the series. There is so much good information in this chapter. I highly recommend getting that book. So, Kimball talks about this young man who gets off into college and he gets blindsided with questions about the Bible that he has never really thought about before. In some instances, like this one, he'd read the story many times, but he would never really thought it through. And I'm going to read this section to you again so we can set up the question. Quote, he was studying the Bible in his campus group when he noticed the Exodus story of the firstborn in Egypt being killed, a story he had read and heard multiple times about God rescuing Israel and putting more and more pressure on Pharaoh. But as a college student, the story was very unsettling to him. He began wondering if the New Testament story of Herod's soldiers killing boys under the age of two in Bethlehem was, was so horrific. It was such a horrific act. And I would add to that, by the way, the story of Pharaoh killing all the Hebrew boys as well. That had just happened 80 years prior um, to the Exodus. So why then is it okay when God does something similar? Hmm? Hmm? It's a good question, right? That's the question Kimball posed that this young man was contemplating. Now, as you probably know, uh, in the 10th plague, God took the firstborn male of all the Egyptians. Well, sort of. I'll explain that in a, a second. But let me continue with Kimball. Quote, This really troubled him, which led him to ask his small group leaders about it. He was disappointed with the lame answers he received, answers like, I don't know, but maybe when we get to heaven, we might know, (sighs) this left him even more unsettled, end quote. So I talked about this question in the last episode. Now, Kimball doesn't give us an answer in the book, and I ribbed him a little bit about that because I, you know, wanted an answer. But really, the gist of the chapter is about all the questions that may discourage and lead people, especially young people, away from the faith when they don't get a reasonable answer. So I employed my own guidelines to come up with an answer. As I mentioned to you in the last episode, I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting as I so often am at a ball game, it was a softball game, reading this book <laughs> in between innings as I watched my middle daughter, you know, she was playing out on the field. And this question was just like gnawing away at me. I, You know, I didn't ignore it, guideline number two. I didn't dismiss it, guideline number three. I actually asked God about it, guideline number four. I said, you know, God... What is up with that? Why is that okay for you and not for them? And you know, I, th- I think he gave me an answer that made sense. He didn't respond with, because I'm God and I said so. He led me to a satisfying answer that I shared with my daughter because, you know, I, I don't want her to be in, you know, blindsided by this kind of question either. That was guideline number one, by the way. <laughs> you know, take away the ambush. Now, Often when you ask God a question like this, he will come back with another question. This is what happened here. A question, it, it just came to me. All of a sudden, it was there, and I, I believe it was the Holy Spirit. He said, well, what is different about these situations? Hmm. <laughs> That is a very good question. What is different about Pharaoh taking the lives of the Hebrew boys and Herod taking the lives of the Hebrew boys and then God taking the lives of the firstborn Egyptian males? So I walked through that in my head. I broke it down like I'm going to do for you right now. Okay. So when Pharaoh commanded that all the Hebrew boys be drowned in the Nile River, the Hebrew people, God's people, had been held in slavery under brutal conditions in Egypt, being, being sometimes beaten and worked to death. This had been going on for 320 years at that point when Pharaoh took the lives of the Hebrew boys. You know, Moses was a baby then, but it had been going on 400 years when Moses came back telling Pharaoh to let my people go. You know, God's people go. Scripture says that Moses was 80 when God sent him back to Egypt to deliver his people. So, so think about that. That is a very, very long time, like hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression, of slavery and murder, of grave Injustice perpetrated on the Israelites by Pharaoh and the Egyptians longer than slavery existed in the United States. Listen to this. This is Exodus chapter 1 verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people to throw into the Nile every Hebrew boy that was born, but to let every girl live. End quote. All of his people, all of the Egyptians, to throw into the Nile every Hebrew boy. Hi. It's awful. So prior to this, Pharaoh had commanded the midwives to kill the baby boys after birth, and they wouldn't do it because they were they were Hebrew. So he sent the soldiers and, and the other Egyptians out to do this. This is this is heart-wrenching to think about, isn't it? It's it's horrific. But why? did Pharaoh do that? There's another good question that I think God prompted in my spirit. Why did Pharaoh do that? When Pharaoh ordered the death of these baby boys, he was trying to preserve his power over the Hebrew people to keep them enslaved, to keep them from multiplying. They multiplied so quickly, and he was afraid that they would rise up and overthrow him because there were more Hebrews than there were Egyptians. So he killed all the baby boys, all of them. There was no mercy. There was no way out. There was no option to escape. That is very important. You know, Moses survived because his mother put him in a basket and he was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. Somehow he managed to navigate the Nile with all the crocodiles and hippos. And and well, obviously it wasn't just somehow God Protected him, but that's the only reason he survived. All the others died. So the motive here was preserving power. Pharaoh was practicing self preservation with no mercy, no way out, no salvation. Likewise, with King Herod, he commanded the soldiers to kill all the Hebrew boys in Bethlehem because he was afraid of the prophecies that said a child would rise up and rule. Same thing. Herod was trying to preserve his power, his throne, and his legacy. And likewise, there was no mercy, no way out, no salvation. Neither of these rulers were trying to right a wrong Neither were trying to do something just like freeing people who had been enslaved, tortured, beaten, and murdered for 400 years. These rulers were ruthlessly trying to gain and preserve power by eliminating a threat. That was their motive. Now, let's contrast Pharaoh and Herod's motive with God's motive. That's the key. God's motive is diametrically opposed to Pharaoh and Herod. 180 degrees in the opposite direction. God's motive is not power and self-preservation. No. Mm-mm. It is justice and freedom. He is trying to right a 400-year wrong. The Hebrews had had been crying out to God for 400 years to be freed from this this horrific abuse and and oppression and murder, the genocide of all their boys. Really, the question I would be asking is, Lord, why did you wait so long? Well, because God is patient and long-suffering. He didn't want to destroy the Egyptian empire and the Egyptian firstborns, but they wouldn't do the right thing. So God sends Moses, the deliverer, to command Pharaoh to let his people go. In other words, God has had enough. Stop the injustice. Stop the enslaving and the beating and the torturing and the murdering of these people, of God's people. It was wrong. Pharaoh refuses. All he had to do was let the Israelites go. That's it. Just do the right thing now. But no, no. <laughs> He would not do it. He wanted power. He wanted a free workforce. So he makes it even harder on the Hebrew people. He takes away the straw to make the bricks, but doesn't reduce their quota. So God responds with with more plagues. The Nile is turned into blood. Still, Pharaoh refuses. Then we have the frogs and the lice and the flies. Then the livestock dies. Then boils and, and hailstones and locusts. All of this would stop the instant. Pharaoh stopped oppressing the Hebrew people and let them go. That's all he had to do. Finally, there is darkness like never before. Then Pharaoh commands Moses to leave and never come back. He threatens to kill this messenger of God if he ever sees him again. Moses warns him. He warns him of the final plague, but he will not Listen, he thinks that he is a God. At every turn, God tries to show mercy to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. At every turn, he offers a way out. At every turn, he offers salvation. But Pharaoh refuses. He will not have it. He had every opportunity to avoid the plagues and the loss of the firstborn sons. But he refused. God offered him mercy ten times. And ten times Pharaoh chose justice. And it's important to note that the Egyptians were not innocent here. Uh -uh. They were the instruments that Pharaoh used to enslave the Hebrew people. Pharaoh didn't beat and torture the Hebrews himself. He didn't throw the Hebrew babies into the Nile himself. He ordered the Egyptian soldiers to do that. The Egyptians were not innocent. (sighs) There is a powerful lesson here, mamas and papas. So powerful. A lesson that we need to know and we need to teach our kids. God offers us mercy over and over and over. He extends mercy. But there comes a point in time when we solidify our fate. If we continue to refuse mercy, we will receive what we have demanded. We will receive justice. Those are the only two options we have. Mercy or justice. God always offers mercy. Herod, on the other hand, never offered mercy. Pharaoh never offered mercy. Not once. Nor were they trying to right a grave injustice. God offered mercy time and time and time again in his efforts to right a horrific wrong. There is a spiritual principle in play here that is every bit as real as the law of gravity. That principle is we reap what we sow unless We humble ourselves and accept God's mercy. He offers it. He offers us a way to avoid death. He offered it to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. they refused. So, when we look at these situations, when we look at Herod and, and Pharaoh taking the Hebrew boys and God taking the firstborn Egyptian males we see that they really aren't the same thing at all. You can look at it on the surface and see some similarities. But the differences, (laughs) the differences make all the difference. Pharaoh and Herod were preserving their power by murdering their enemies. God, on the other hand, was righting a horrible wrong, a horrible injustice, the enslaving of the Hebrew people for 400 years. He was writing the murdering of these Hebrew baby boys. Even still, he offered Pharaoh and the Egyptians a way out, a way out from reaping what they had sown. He offered them mercy. Just let my people go and I will say no more. They refused 10 times. They refused God's mercy. So he gave them what they asked for, what they deserved. He gave them justice. Our God is not a monster. He is a God of tremendous grace and mercy. Anyone can receive that mercy if they will only humble themselves and repent. But you know, God can look like a monster. If you cherry-pick certain parts of scripture and and you color them a certain way and you add in the right camera angles and some sinister music, yeah, you can make out God to be a monster. You can make anyone out to be a monster. That is that is what I'm going to talk about in the next episode. Yeah, we're going to continue in this series on how to deal with these difficult parts of the Bible. And I'm going to share with you what can happen when someone cherry picks certain parts of the Bible and strings them together to make what is a really beautiful, loving, redemptive story look like a horror flick. Mm -hmm. And I want to address in this series how to deal with the difficult parts of the Bible that we're still struggling with. I have a really cool analogy that will help us visualize how to deal with these parts of the Bible that we still don't understand. It's going to all be in this series. You don't want to miss it. I want to thank you for joining me today. Look, I know. There are a lot of things you could be listening to right now, and I really appreciate that you took this time to spend with me. I hope you will join me for my next podcast when we take aim at some aspect of our culture that threatens to derail our parenting and steal our kids' faith. If you enjoyed this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World, would you consider telling a friend and sharing it on social media and giving it a good review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and following me on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, oh, and maybe you could say that Christian Parent Crazy World is the best podcast you've ever heard in your entire life. Uh, Just a thought. Uh, and be sure to check out my website, which is katherinesegers.com. That's Katherine with the C. I have lots of articles and resources there that will help you on your parenting journey. And if you subscribe, I will be sure to send you some really cool free stuff and notify you of future podcasts, articles, and blogs. I want to end this and every episode with a word of encouragement God gave you. Your kids, your specific kids for a reason. That's because you hold the key to unlocking who God created them to be. We'll see you next time.
1: Christian Parent Crazy World is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. To hear more from Catherine Seegers, visit her site, Katherinesegers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a minute and leave us a rating and review in your podcast app? It really does help us connect to more listeners like you. A special thanks to Kelly Gibbons, Stephen Sanders, and Stephen McGarvey for their production and editing on this episode. You can find more podcasts like this over at lifeaudio.com.